Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Impact of Influence. The Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful that you're spending some time with us again. We apologize. We wanted to get a, an episode out on Monday, but uh, Dwayne, our producer, lost power in the neighborhood. But we're here now. It's Matt Harris and Seton Tucker, Murdoch Podcast on Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. And we know we've said we're going to get to all of your questions and, and, and uh, all the comments you had. We're working our way through it because we're getting a lot more questions as the trial continues. So in this episode, we're going to bang out the testimony from Blanca that happened on the 10th. We're also going to deal with some of the DNA testimony, which happened on the 13th. And then we'll have a, a, an episode either on the night of the 14th or the 15th morning where we'll, we'll go over some of the intense testimony about the state of the bodies after the murders. But Seton's in Walterboro. And Seton, where would you like to begin? Well, let's just head on COVID real quick. Okay. So we get, we get in there and everything is kind of running late. And then the judge comes in and tells us that two of the jury members have tested positive for COVID and they've been released. So that is actually only leaving three alternates left. We don't know what's going to happen if another jury member tests positive. They may adjourn for a week. There's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, they, the judge is encouraging people to wear masks in the courtroom. And he has not made a ruling on that. Makes, you know, a mask mandate has not been yeah. en- enacted at this time. Um, and also he says he's still going to allow members of the, the public in. So he has not changed that ruling but that was big news because now there are only three alternates left. And Alex said, uh, Alex attorneys, Dick Carpulian said he had COVID back in, they say December, I guess. Um, and what I found interesting too was, I was, cause I was wondering if they were going to clear out the public. He talked about social distancing. And as it turns out during COVID, they would have the jury in now where the, the crowd sits and they would yeah. have them spread throughout the, uh, the, those, those rows. But right now that's not going to happen, but they get tested on Wednesday the 15th again. Yes, and some of the jurors are wearing masks, but others are not. Okay. It's kind of split. Same way with it, what appears in the gallery, kind of a mismatch of some people have it, some people don't. But the jury, too, it's kind of, I mean, they don't have them on, but they're going to go back in the jury room and have drinks and coffee and eat and whatever. So I think they're eventually going to bring know, each other. For sure. And remember, when we were filming the Oxygen special, that jury room is where we had lunch. And it's oh, not right. a very big space. You're right. It is very small. I forgot about that. Yeah, good call. Um, let's go back to previous Friday and some of the testimony we just didn't have a chance to get to. Uh, there was Matthew Wild, who was the FBI supervising special agent who did a bunch of cell phone data. And I don't think there was much in there. 
because he just showed Alex's phone was in the general vicinity of the crime from 640 to 910. Then 912 to 918, the phone moved a little bit south of the property, so there could be something there, I guess. And then 920, it started moving toward his mom's house. Do you have the same kind of takeaway, that it was just kind of reinforcing the same timeline? It was. I didn't really have a lot to take away. I didn't really see a lot in there either, but also, first thing, Monday morning, we heard that GM has provided the state with additional information regarding Ellis Tahoe. And I guess this is going to come in. The state uh, provided it to the defense over the weekend, and the defense needs a few days to process it. And they said they didn't see anything in there that hurt them and on a cursory look. And, in fact, some things they believe may help them but they need a chance for their experts to review that. So we should hear about this additional information provided by GM later in the week. And it was the, the GM thing was funny because not funny, but the prosecution had requested this months ago and they were talking about somebody must've been watching the, the trial. Dick Carpooling goes, and I guess they decided we'll press this button. Now we got all this information. And so it, it, it cranked out all the information. We'll see how much of that is useful. And they did say that the trial is still on track for the prosecution to rest their case on Wednesday, even with this new data. Wednesday the 15th. That would be quite a quick wrap at the end. Okay, so another witness we haven't covered yet is uh, Nathan Tootin. And he worked for PMPED, Alex Old Law Firm, from 2019 to 2022, basically as a runner. And he would cast checks for uh, Alec. He'd go, because we, we've been there, Palmetto State Bank, just across the street, a few blocks away. He'd go over there and cast checks for Alec. Yeah, and it brings up some names about cashing checks. He said that he saw Gregory Alexander, who's the police chief at Yemisee, who we've seen a lot of rumors about. He's the guy who, I guess, Alec gave him a check for, I believe it was $5,000, and he said it was a loan to his parents, so... A lot of people have speculated that maybe he was involved in some sort of cleanup. So, mm-hmm. we, But it's funny, when Tootin is asked about him, he says, I'm not implying on cross, I'm not implying anything. And then, did you catch the quote when they says, you know, what, you know, what did you do when you went to the bank and were told to cash the checks? And he says, I cashed the, cash the checks. Yes. We were talking about a minute ago, but implying anything, because on, on cross, they were saying... Uh, are you implying that Alec gave money to Corey Fleming, Gregory Alexander, Chris Wilson? And he's like, I'm not implying anything. That's what you're referring to about maybe a payoff going on there. But it is interesting, the people that were in there, especially the Yemisee police chief. I mean, yeah. there could be reasons, I guess. He's visiting. He's for friends. But there's been some controversy with that police chief and ethics issues over the years. We will see if that goes anywhere. I doubt if it will go anywhere. And another thing I noted was that Tootin describes the relationship between, you know, Maggie and Alec as good and his Paul's relationship with his dad as loving. So another one of the prosecution witnesses who is not saying they're seeing any sort of signs of marital distress or family distress. Tootin uh, did say that Alec really, really wanted to clear Paul's name, but he also said with Paul gone, he could beat the boat case. Yeah, I noticed that. I thought that was really strange. Yes, it was. And it looked like, to me, just by body language and whatever that's worth, 
But Nathan Tootin did not seem at all pleased with the defense. He, he, he did. He just like I don't want to talk to you guys. Seemed to have an, he he did seem to have an angry demeanor, and maybe some of that was. Did you notice that he actually worked with Jeannie Seconder, the CFO of PMPD, to kind of help uncover some of these financial crimes? He was in charge of looking through stuff. So yeah, that's a good point. So he's probably just angry about the whole situation, and, and justifiably, I might add, about the whole thing. Let's go to Blanca, uh, Blanca Simpson, who held a lot of jobs in her life, very intriguing life she's lived, military and Department of Corrections, and uh, did a lot of uh, interpreting uh, throughout the years. And she described herself as the family friend who also did cleaning and laundry and cooking and errands and all that sort of thing. She met Alec, I guess, because she was helping a friend out who needed a lawyer, and she spoke Spanish. Her friend did not. Uh, that's her native language. And so that's how she came to meet Alec, and then she did work with him on translating from for some non-English-speaking clients. But when she first started working for them, it was shortly after the house fire at their Holly Street home in Hampton. Which is and- interesting, because I want you to cover that, because... We, I got a lot of uh, listener questions about how they just flew past this, their, their house being on, on, on fire, and you have information on that. So according to my source, there was a contractor who was working for the family, and he was charged with this crime, but it was ultimately dismissed. And if you go to his website, you can see that he has a long history of criminal charges related to not paying his workers. Um, and he was also sued by... Alec and Maggie in relation to this. I don't know if he was sued in relation to this arson or if he was sued because of his work. Either way, the guy, it, it doesn't have anything to do with people trying to make a, a line to anything to do with uh, murders. There doesn't appear to be any, any tie-in with that. Yeah. But it's also interesting that it does appear as if there are some en- enemies that they had. That's true. That's true. That That could be, but... So far, and even during that testimony, the uh, defense didn't want to, didn't go to expand on it at all, at least at this point. So that, you know, I think they maybe would have if they thought they were going to use it again. But it does throw that little bit of possibility of people hating the Murdochs or somebody after the Murdochs. Before we get into our biggest takeaways, I also wanted to talk about her testimony about her her friendship with Maggie. She really seemed to be the first person who really seemed to be pretty close to Maggie that we've heard from. You know, she talks about Maggie having a laid-back personality. She needed to go to a doctor's appointment. She would say, no worries. Uh, Wonka had a stroke, and she would see Maggie around town, and they would stop and talk. Uh, it, it didn't seem like they had a very close relationship. really did, uh, which comes into play in, in, in a minute. We also will talk about Harputli and Yellen mistrial in a second. But go ahead with your uh, takeaways from Blanca. Very intriguing and interesting witness. And, and she really didn't seem, what I thought about her testimony was that she did not have an agenda. She did not seem like she was there for the prosecution of defense. She was there to tell the truth. And that came through in her testimony, in my opinion. The first thing that really struck out to me is 
the pressure that she felt by Ellis to be untruthful about what he was wearing the night of the murder. Because she saw mm-hmm. him earlier in the day, and he was wearing a different shirt, which she says she calls it a Vinnie Von shirt, and she hasn't seen it since. And she, she remembers it because his collar was, you know, folded under and she fixed it. So she had a very distinct memory of what he was wearing. And that at another point in time, he tries to say, well, remember, this is what I was wearing. Yes, which falls in line with what Shelly Smith, the caregiver for Alex's mom, said that he kept saying, how about this? I was at this. I was there 30, 40 minutes. I was there this, this, and this. Uh, so it does fall in line with that. And also, as you said, the sea, what is it called? Seafoam? Is that what she said it was seafoam? Um, seafoam, yeah. Yeah, is that it? Columbia-style uh, shirt. And, this, and she seemed to know every article of clothing in that house. Well, she, she was in charge of their laundry. I mean, did you... She says at one <laughs> point, the weekend before the murders occurred, she had... Paul came in late, and he was headed to Charleston for the weekend, and he said, Hey, B, can you help me out? Do some laundry. And, and she did she, it. She did it. She stayed, and she, she did his laundry for him. It was rare that they would even clean up after dinner. They leave, like, the pots on the stove. It's just yeah, crazy to me. Were, and their dishes on the table. Sometimes they would be in the sink. So, yeah, that was uh, crazy to me. She also talked about Maggie's state of mind, which is where Dick Harputley is a mistrial, and John Snyder and I covered it in the episode 101 uh, because she was talking about Maggie being worried about the money. She called it $30 million in the boat crash. Uh, Maggie was worried, but on the other hand, she also said that she was willing to start over again. She said she didn't care. She said if they had that kind of—we don't have that kind of money— but if we did, I'd, I'd give it all to him and we could start over again. She did say she was thinking that Alec was hiding something from her uh, about that boat crash financially. But there was well, no real straight, straight line from Blanca to say that, you know, had to, you know, that she was about to blow it all up or something. There was nothing like that that Maggie was saying. No, and on Cross, she was, was questioned about their relationship and she just says that. Maggie was Ellis' world that he he loved her, worshipped her. Yeah. Do you have another takeaway before we get into the day after the murders, Junaid? Yes. She was contacted. Did she say was was she contacted by Alec or maybe Randy? I thought about, she was Alec. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah, because she, she said I, because she said he said they're gone, and she initially thought maybe they went to Edisto. I uh, yes. You're right. You're right. Okay. She did think that possibly they had gone. It took her a minute to process. And she, at that point, Alec was at Almeida at his parents' house. So she goes by there to console and comfort them. She, it, really, she said, she said, she describes Buster as like a great kid at one point in her testimony. Mm-hmm. And then Alec says, well, you know, there are going to be people over there later. Can you go make Moselle looked like Maggie would have wanted it to look. Clean up and make, yeah, what you applied clean up, make it look like Maggie would have made it look, which I don't, if I'm trying to be, people always say I'm defending, I'm not. I'm trying to pretend I'm I'm a juror. I'm not trying to say he's guilty or innocent, but a juror might say, well, you you, you know people are coming over because people are going to be gathering there, right? And you want the place to look. It is definitely weird, especially when you pair that with him telling her, hey, don't drive in by the kennels because there's a lot of sled there going the other way. 
Yeah, that that part, right? But I could see like if you know your whole family's about to be there, which they were. Yeah. You know, do you, you you might want it straightened up. Again, I am playing devil's advocate here. Don't send me an email saying how much I love Alec Murdoch. No, I got one of those. I got one of those too. But the the other thing that we have to take, take into consideration is these people did not live the way we do. I mean, they left they left the way normal people do. They left their plates on the table. Yeah. They had someone to do their laundry. They, you know, the day of the, the murders, she testified that she was, you know, had a doctor's appointment and she asked Blanca to go to the house and prepare a meal for, for the family. Right. So it's Most a different people world. people don't have those kind of things. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. So instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. We'll go over to that doctor's thing for a second before we get to the her going into the house. She said that Maggie planned on going to Edisto, but... Alec uh, had told her he wanted her to come to Moselle that night, and he wanted Paul there too. So that is this this uh, idea of luring her back to Moselle. Yeah, and you know, I don't find it that unusual considering the dad had gone into the hospital that day that he would say, hey, can you come back home? That, yeah. that to me didn't seem that crazy, and I guess he had asked Paul to come to the house to do some stuff with the land because they were going to have a hunt, which that to me seems a little bit more strange because, okay, yeah, having your wife come back home when your father is in the hospital, yes. But if you're so concerned about your father, then you're bringing your son to check on the land. Something CB Road messed up, he said, that they had to fix. Yeah, something with the sunflowers. Okay, so we're going to go to June 8th. We mentioned that Alec tells Blanca to go in to a different entrance. In a Moselle, by the way, there's two entrances. There's an entrance that goes by the dog kennels, and there's an entrance that does not. Alex says, go to the one not by the kennels, because the sled people are all over there investigating the murders, but go ahead on inside the house. It's it's so bizarre to me. But Seton, take us from there. When, when, when Blanca goes into the house on June 8th. Blanca goes... Into the house, and she starts cleaning up. She says that she discovers the pots of food that she has made in the refrigerator, just the pots, which would not typically have been what they would have done. Uh, dishes in the sink, 
She said that Maggie's clothing was laid out on the bed, I guess her nightgown and underwear, which were strange because I guess Maggie did not wear undergarments to bed. You know, things looked a little off to her was my take. But it wasn't a big deal. We know that there was a bunch of family members the night of the murders that congregated in that house and friends. So anybody could have moved things around. It wasn't just like Alec was in there changing the whole look to the scene. There was people in there. could have been anybody. However, Blanca also mentions that it appears obviously took somebody took a shower because there's water on the floor and there's a pair of khakis on the floor and Blanca does the laundry and washes the khakis. Yeah, and she she says at this time, well, officers are entering the house, and you know that they would have seen there's a wet towel, and she's cleaning the shower, and if, maybe they should have stopped her. Now with the khakis and the other, I, I think they should have collected all this stuff. But we should say in Sled's defense, they didn't know about the Snapchat video of Ellis wearing different clothing, you know, an hour before the murders. They were not aware of that, and you know, Blanca. You know, testifies that she she sees the shirt, she's not wearing it. Now the shirt's nowhere to be found. But Sled didn't know about the existence of this clothing before the phone was processed. Okay, so they may not have known he was wearing different clothes, but Sled has to look at the situation and go, "Prime suspect has to be the husband because that's the way that goes." And they see this person in there cleaning what obviously could be evidence, cleaning the bathroom, cleaning up, uh, doing laundry. I mean, that just blows your mind. It, it seems very strange that Sled would not ask her to do that. And then Bianca stayed on with Ellis after the murder to help him out. And Ellis never spent the night again at Moselle. And her husband, who is in law enforcement, Bianca and her husband stayed at Moselle. So at one point... She is asked to go pick up Maggie's car from where it's impounded. And she goes and she picks up the car and she's cleaning it. And she discovers Maggie's wedding ring in the car, which two things about that. One, why didn't any law enforcement discover this ring? Why is Blanca finding the ring? And also, why was Maggie not wearing her ring? Now, we do know that Maggie was getting a manicure that day. So that's. Could be why the ring is off. Yeah. And see, it is feasible that you would take off your ring because you're getting a manicure and you don't want to get all the lotion or whatever dust on your ring. I mean, that's possible. But the important thing is here, Sled was supposed to have checked the car and they didn't find the ring. Sled allowed Blanca to clean and do laundry in the Moselle house. And side note, we now know Blanca has Bubba the dog. You know what? One other thing I think we should mention about Bubba is we hear from Tootin about Bubba, and Tootin asked, because Tootin was a friend of Paul's as well, and so he would go to Moselle quite often, and he talked about the cleaning procedures, and would you have taken, you know, if you're going to hose out the kennels, would you have taken the dog bed out? Well, she said yes, and, you know, we know from earlier testimony that there was water found around Paul's body, and whether there was some sort of attempt to clean up or whether somebody was cleaning the kennels out. We don't know, but the dog bed was still, there was, there's dog house in the kennel and the dog bed was still in there. And according to Tootin, you would have taken the dog bed out. And also 
the, the chicken. We, we heard this video where there's the chicken that Baba had the chicken in the mouth, and the chicken was laying on top of the dog, the, the dog house. And Tootin also testified that if Baba wanted to get away, Baba would get away. And so I think that's going to come into play about the timeline, whether if Ella got the chicken away from Bubba, he would have had to chase Bubba down, and that shortens the timeline even further. All right, let's move to the testimony about DNA on Maggie and Paul and various items. It was really mind-numbing, confusing, and boring, and I guess they had to get it into evidence by putting it in the court record, but I heard some talking heads on TV say they thought the prosecution just went too deep. Well, what did you think, Seton? I, I was in court for this. It was very long. We went through each, all of these different cuttings, and you would hear that it could have, you know, it, the probability of it being Maggie is well, quadruple times combined with Alex, quadruple times. But they never really did a job tying it up. And, you know, maybe a sled officer is going to testify after this and tie it all together for us. Yeah, we hear that there will be a sled agent will tie it all together. Let's move to Cross on the DNA expert. And one of the big things that media is screaming about is the fingernail clippings of Maggie. There was an unidentified male's DNA. And people are saying, CB Rowe, CB Rowe. I didn't see it the way. How would you see it? My take on that was C.B. Rowe, it was very unlikely that it was C.B. Rowe. Yes. But more importantly, there is an unidentified male DNA under Maggie's fingernail. And I have the most exact way the expert said was it's more likely than not that it's someone other than C.B. Rowe. Now, some media ran with this, it's C.B. Rowe, and it still could be, he's not ruled out, but it's more likely it's another unidentified male. And Alec and Paul were both excluded as people who could have contributed to this DNA under her fingernails. And it was brought up that Maggie had a manicure that day, so the nails would have been assumed to have been uh, clean, but the experts said they have no idea when or where or how she got that unidentified male, unidentified male DNA under her nails. Yeah, that, that was a big takeaway. And they kind of go into the shirt, which in Sled's defense, I think this white T-shirt that they processed, they thought Alex could have potentially been wearing this at the time of the murder. They weren't sure. So they test the shirt, and then on cross, they go, they go through their 74 samples taken that they ran through this hematrace test and which would would show blood and all 74 samples were negative for blood on the shirt over 74 and the the t-shirt which was kind of an interesting thing the t-shirt he was wearing was from a fishing boat and so they're saying couldn't this spatter have been a result of fish blood the spatter because it was negative for the hematrace the spatter could have been Boom, fish blood. That was my thing. Oh, and real quick on, on Cross, they were talking to the expert and they asked her about the fact that the attorney, someone in the attorney general's office asked her how she came to this negative, this 0 for 74 thing. 
implying that maybe they were pressuring her to change her results. So what else do you have on the DNA blood expert? Well, everyone was anxiously awaiting what we were going to find out about this blue raincoat. And they were kind of testing it for ownership. They tested the collar and the zipper and those type of areas which would indicate ownership of of the the raincoat. And that was, they couldn't find anything. All right, well, let's seat and run because she's got to get into the courtroom. Coming up on an episode very, very soon, we're going to hear from the chief pathologist who takes the stand. We're also going to hear from the guy who takes care of the dog kennels. All could be really interesting. That's coming up. But first, I want to say we're always grateful. We'd love it if you would leave a comment, rate, follow, share the episode. I want to thank uh, Court TV and Vinny Politan, who continues to have me on from 8 to 9 in his closing argument show. And we will talk soon, friend. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.